This week, we welcome back Sven Morgenroth, security researcher for NetSparker, to talk about JWT, JSON Web Tokens, how to implement them correctly, incorrectly, and abuse them, of course. Dan DeClaus, CEO and president of PlexTrack, joins us for a segment on how to use proactive security runbooks. That's right. It's got runbooks built into the product, which is really awesome. In the security news in the final segment, Deception Technology no longer only a Fortune 2000 solution. New Chrome Zero Day under active attacks. Update your browser. You probably already should have, but maybe we can tell that story later. Pornhub has been blocked in Thailand. Three actively exploited Zero Days in iOS. And someone just emptied out a $1 billion Bitcoin wallet. All that and more on this episode of Paul's Security Weekly. This is Security Weekly, for security professionals, by security professionals. Broadcasting live from G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island, it's the show where exploits run wild, packets aren't the only things getting snipped, and the cocktails flow steady. It's Paul's Security Weekly. Sophisticated attackers are targeting credentials to escalate privileges. TiVo Networks provides an innovative solution that finds, cleans, and monitors exposed credentials to reduce attack surfaces. Additionally, the solution alerts when attackers try accessing Active Directory objects while hiding data and derailing them with disinformation. Organizations can go one step further and hide real credentials among deceptive lures that lead attackers to decoys for recording TTPs and forensic evidence. Find out more at securityweekly.com forward slash TiVo Networks and sign up for a free trial. Want to be more thorough while also working faster? It doesn't matter if you're on the red or blue team, an augmented reality overlay can enable you to be more thorough and faster at the same time. No glasses, no goggles, Polarity delivers this superpower as an overlay on top of your existing workflow and tools. The free community edition connects to the data you care about to overlay the context you need to make informed decisions. Apply for early access today at securityweekly.com forward slash polarity. Qualys has brought together vulnerability management and patch management, letting security teams discover vulnerabilities and apply patches immediately, all within a single unified app. Sign up for a free trial of Qualys VMDR, vulnerability management, detection, and response today at securityweekly.com forward slash Qualys. His hobbies include pug racing, meat rubbing, and uh, live eel regurgitation magic. Uh, please welcome Mr. Paul Asadorian. Welcome everyone to Paul Security Weekly. It's episode number 673, recorded on November 5th, 2020, right here in G-Unit Studios in Rhode Island. To my left is the doctor. He's in the house. It's Dr. Doug White. Hello. What's I'm here. On? It's cool. I mean, I, we've survived the, you know, the week. And <laughs> I just, you know, a word of caution. If you ever have an interview with Doug, um, just... Be cautious. You will remain anonymous, but your story will live on forever. <laughs> that everyone is, will hear that it. That is true, yeah. <laughs> I they, they make for just awesome. I was telling I mean, Paul good, good better in different interviews. You make them all like wildly entertaining. I know. That's I think we should do a mock interview with you and I. Oh, that would be fun. Now, that would be fun. That I would think be we fun. We could have a good time. Yeah. yeah. We should do that sometime. Because I answered one of your interview questions and you thought it was good. You did. No, was, you had a great I was answer. I with my, my every once in a while. I had. Yeah. No, but you had a great answer. One of the best answers that you get to that. And uh, Oh, you're so flattering. Ah, oh, I love you so, Paul. Also <laughs> flattering, Mr. Tyler Robinson is on the lines remotely. Tyler, welcome. I'm, I'm curious what the uh, what the question was that, that was so flattering. You want me to tell it? Oh, yeah, do tell. That's really dirty. <laughs> it's not. No, I... <laughs> 
one of the one of the questions I always like to ask people in interviews, I'll I'll tell you, uh, was what's your what is your favorite network port and and why? And I mean even even like high level people because I actually glean a lot of information from that when I ask people that question because there's many many different there's no wrong answer there's, well there are some wrong answers like one of the wrong answers I was telling Paul about was what's a port <laughs> a network port well you got me there cowboy you know that kind of thing and, and you know it's like. You're going okay. Thanks for coming in. Um, but let's uh, see if Tyler's answer is close to mine. Yeah. What is Ty- what is Tyler's answer to this? Probably NTP. Ooh. No, a specific see, answer. I, no, I, I mean, Lee ne- hey, Lee Neely's here with us. Lee, welcome. <laughs> ah, good to be here. We're having a, having a good old time, and uh, I think this weekend we're going to get some snow and catch up with Tyler, who's already had some. There you go, Lee. What's your favorite network port? Oh, twenty-two. Interesting. My answer was the one that's open through the firewall. Yeah. Oh, of course. Mm, Which I, I thought like I thought that, that was All a really. Right. Yeah, I'm impressed. That, I, it, that's what I'm telling you. See how much you can g- gather from that, though. I mean, you you could how people choose. It kind of tells you. You can you can tell how old people are from that. Like yeah, the, but I kind of cheated though because I've heard you pose that question before, and I had okay. I had time to think about a more creative answer. That's okay. Yeah. Mm. I still now, like nine. Nine's got to be well, my next nine. Favorite. Yeah, nine. That's a. Caragen, Echo, it's in mm. one of those. Echo Protocol or it's Wake Echo. on Land. Yes. Oh, I forgot uh, about Wake on Land. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. We just dove right in the content, and got nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> before yeah. we even talked about Chase on Web Tokens, and before we do that, Security Weekly, in partnership with the Cyber Risk Alliance, is excited to present Security Weekly Unlocked on December tenth. 2020, the inaugural inaugural edition of the Security Weekly Unlocked also celebrates Security Weekly's 15-year anniversary, and I still can't pronounce words after 15 years. It will feature lots of cool talks, including three panel discussions, one on social engineering, one on API security, and one on diversity. The diversity panel is moderated by none other than Dr. Doug White. That's me. You can go to securityweekly.com forward slash unlocked registration and agenda is live. It is a completely free event. And after that, we're going to do a Paul Security Weekly episode with three more panels. So it's a full day and night full of content. This segment is sponsored by NetSparker. Please visit uh, securityweekly.com forward slash NetSparker to learn more. Joining us today, no stranger to the show, Sven Morganroth, a security researcher at NetSparker who has done several segments with us in the past, and we're happy to have you back, Sven. Welcome. Thanks for having me again. It's always a pleasure to be here. And I'm excited that you're going to talk about JSON Web Tokens because we we touched on it briefly last week and kind of introduced the concept, and I'm glad that we get to, to dig in a little more. Basically, last week, Sven, we talked about how JWTs are different from cookies, and they Really, at a very basic level, it's client-side storage versus server-side, if I understand it correctly. Yeah, that, that's right. Um, so with JSON Web Tokens, you can store a lot of the um, stuff you would usually have on um, in a server-side session on the client. Like That has some implications. Um, the good news is that um, you also have some security mechanisms in there that uh, prevent a user from just modifying the data how they want. Mm -hmm. And um, basically, a lot of the attacks against JSON Web Tokens um, are trying to to break um, 
break these security assumptions that the data in there is uh, immutable and um, that a signature verification will always uh, ensure that the data is secure. Mm. I also love how the description at the bottom of your opening slide is in JSON format. I think that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, yes, uh, the I can share my screen with you mm. and uh, show you the actual slides so we can go through them and uh, talk about JSON uh, web token security a little bit more. Um, the JSON stuff you see below is basically an attack against uh, JSON web tokens with the non-algorithm. I will explain that a little bit later. And um, yeah, so the description uh, is common JWT vulnerabilities. And before we go into the details, let's first establish what JSON web tokens actually are. And of course, what they are used for. Now, uh, JWT is a standard that describes a way to securely transmit data between parties. And usually, um, when we talk about secure, we mean that they cannot be tampered with in this context. And um, that is because they're digitally signed. And optionally, the data can also be encrypted, though we won't talk about this today um, because we will mostly focus on um, tampering with unencrypted data. Now, in the context of web applications, um, you'll often see JWT tokens used as a way to securely store session state on the client side, for example, in a cookie. And that's what uh, Paul just described. It's basically you um, will store everything that you would store in your, in your server-side session inside the JWT and then send it to the um, user. Like it works this way if you um, authenticate with the application and just uh, log in, then the application will just uh, populate the payload of the JWT token with um, the session data, for example, your username or your email address and stuff like that. And um, afterwards, it will um, sign it uh, with, a, um, yeah, with a signature. And then uh, it will be sent back to the client. It will be stored there. And on subsequent requests, the uh, JSON web token will be sent to the server again and then verified if the signature is still correct. And then the data will be used as um, yes, session state. Um, there are a lot of different algorithms you can use for the signature. Uh, the, it's not a single one. And, JSON web tokens are very flexible in that regard. They allow for multiple different ones to be used. Um, you can uh, choose them and an application can support multiple ones depending on the um, on the use case and what, what uh, makes sense in that, in that uh, situation. Um, now here we can see a JSON web token, how it would look like. We first have a, a base 64 string then a dot connecting the two, um, another dot, and then another, another string. Now, um, the first base64 string is the header. Then the second one is the payload. And finally, this the signature. And of course, the separators and the dots uh, that you can see here. Now, um, both the header and the payload are base64 URL encoded. They are. This is a little bit different to your uh, standard base64 encoding because 
usually um, base64 and uh, encoding contains characters like pluses um, backslashes and um, equal signs and uh, they they are all not very uh, good to use in in a web context because they are so special characters used in urls for example like you can't um you can't safely uh, pass a json web token for example in um and uh and as part of a url or something um now the header contains uh metadata about uh, the token for example the algorithm that is in use um, and the payload contains the data that you want to transmit. Uh, for example, what we talked about before, the session state. And the signature is used to prevent the data uh, from being tampered with. Now it checks the validity of the header and the payload, including the dots. So um, basically uh, the whole part you can see here, the base64 string, the dot, and the second base64 string, those are all verified by the signature. Now, um, what components does the JWT header contain? The header is a JSON object, uh, as you may have already guessed. It typically con uh, contains a type property without the E, and um, it usually has the value JWT. Additional, the, uh, additionally, there's an ALK parameter um, that stands for algorithm and it just uh, tells the um, application which algorithm was used to um, to create the signature. Now, when you abuse JWT vulnerabilities, we usually alter the header. And as you've seen before, that uh, should actually prevent the vulnerability since um, the header is part of the signature um, calculation. But the thing is that you can't really um, calculate, or you, you can't really verify the signature without knowing which algorithm is in use. And um, to know which algorithm is in use, you actually have to pass the header. And therefore, like um, if, if you have found a way to actually break um, JWT, um, that, that is not of a concern. So you can freely edit the header if uh, in the end you somehow find a way to bypass the signature. Um, now a header may look like this. There's, um, as I've uh, said before, it's a JSON object. And um, those are the, the parameters we talked about before. That's the type, um, JWT and the algorithm. For example, HS256, which is an HMAC with uh, SHA-256. So even though the header is protected by the signature, you can still modify it, as I said. And um, yeah, we will uh, go into detail about this part. Oh, I was going to say, if it's HMAC, doesn't the server have a key that it uses to calculate the signature? Or is that only an encryption? Yeah, exactly. It has a secret key that is used mm. um, as a way to make the... Um, yeah, just as a secret token, so nobody except the server can create and verify the JSON uh, web tokens. Gotcha. Yep. But um, we will um, now go into details. Well, yeah, that, that's what the specification says now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, we, we will now go into details about a few vulnerabilities in JSON web tokens. I think the most um, known one, um, most widely known one, is the algorithm non. Uh, 
trick or exploit vulnerability, whatever. And one of the simplest methods to mess with a JWT token. So the availability of the non-algorithm in production is a, a vulnerability in and of itself. Um, it is only meant for debugging purposes and the exploitation is straightforward. So what you can see here is just um, we create a new um, JWT token, but as you may see, we don't actually add any signature behind that. That is because if you use the non-algorithm, um, you the the signature verification is completely disabled. So what uh, happens here is if that one is uh, whitelisted or you, uh, you you can use none as an algorithm, then basically you can um, choose to um, you can choose whatever data is in the payload and the server will think that it is valid because it doesn't verify the signature at all. Um, and Sven, is that is that PHP code that generates that token? No, I think that is just um, basically you. I, I've seen it a lot in, in uh, like an explanation of cryptography and stuff. Where oh, these, okay, gotcha. Uh, double pipes are just some concatenation because I think it's gotcha. um, like a standard, I guess, to write it that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, all right. Now, um, as far as I remember, when um, that trick was uh, published somewhere, somewhere went uh, someone went through like most of the available JWT uh, libraries on GitHub and reported this, mm -hmm. um, if I remember it correctly. So um, usually, if you have a um, like I uh, usually shouldn't really find this uh, find this enabled by default, I guess. Uh, but you never know, and um, of course, sometimes people also implement their own um, JWT um, library for for handling this kind of stuff. So there's certainly something you should um, look out for when you test uh, JWT tokens. Um, the next one is an RSIHMAC um, key confusion. Uh, if we have an RS algorithm uh, value and we can change it to an HS value and it is accepted by the application, that is a vulnerability. Um, because we change the asymmetric algorithm to a symmetric one, um, RSA to HMAC. And for exploitation, you need to change the ARC value to um actually that should be hs256 for example and you need to generate an hmac signature using the rsa public key as a secret um now you can then uh, submit the token to the application and usually what will happen is instead of like verifying the uh, public key and the data and checking if it was um if it was like uh, signed correctly, oh. it will do the same, but generate an HMAC instead with the um, with the public key. And um, since we know the public key, uh, we can therefore create a valid signature and then um, sign uh, any payload that we want. Is that because they they reused the variable public key when they changed algorithms? Yeah, it's basically you. Um, the um, yeah, so the the application doesn't really um, know whether it's um, a 
like it, it should use a public key or like um an hmac secret yeah exactly that's really bad coding by the way <laughs> yeah. they just they just assumed you wouldn't need you know you, you that would, variable if you're if yeah. you were doing one you wouldn't be doing the other so right, it's just exactly. it's like a it's bad coding but it's like mm -hmm. I, you see how people kind of get to that you know logic it's like i'm only going to use this key in one circumstance so right right or so i can variable. reuse the variable yeah right so reuse why not just reuse the name since i mean namespace is pretty cheap performance no i know wise. but it's yeah. just i mean i see how people get to that yeah, yeah that no, place in their coding Yeah, all right. Um, so next, JWT allows you to use um, the JWK header um, a property uh, to embed a public key inside its header. And wait, you you call this one Cisco's Node Jose vulnerability? Yeah, that is like the name of um, of the implementation, I guess, of, of of the header. I think I, I'm not sure exactly about the details, hmm. um, but it's um, it's actually a, a technical t uh, term. Yeah, hmm. it's not like uh, not like a fancy name. Not like no way, Jose reference or something. <laughs> no day, Jose. <laughs> no day, Jose. I don't, I don't know. The JWK could be Joaquin, and that's just Jose's friend. Could be. <laughs> Yeah. So um, and so in in the implementation, the public key was not verified, and what an attacker could do is uh, just sign the payload and supply his own public key. Now we thought and the previous example was bad coding. In this case, they just bothered not to check the key at all. To, uh, at all. <laughs> yeah. Just let it go. <laughs> Wicked fast. <laughs> Yeah, so um, the, the, uh, uh, there's a lot uh, you, you actually can do wrong with JWT. And yeah, so if the signature was checked against the key you supplied, it wouldn't match and the server just accepted. And therefore, you could all also like um, supply any data that you wish to the server. Hmm. Um, now, the next one is actually like um, not due to the implementation of the um, of the JWT libraries, but how the um, how the developer actually used the library. So this affects the symmetric encryption algorithms you can use with JWT, where a secret is provided and um, to to both sign and verify the payload. Now, if you um, use a very weak secret for this, an attacker can locally brute force it and uh, see whether the correct signature was generated by just by trying to um, to throw random uh, secret values at it and then use HMAC to like uh, try to sign it yourself and if the signature matches you just uh, found out which uh, secret was used. So this works only if there was a very um, weak secret uh, used. And so once the secret is known, uh, you can use it to sign the payload. And there uh, usually are no restrictions as to how strong or weak a secret can be by the um, yeah by the by the application uh, by, uh, by the library. I mean, and uh, therefore there um, it's it's very easy to run to like uh, those pitfalls where you don't like change a default uh, key or stuff like that. And then end up with a very easily brute forceable um, secret value. Hmm. Now, um, another problem is if the signature is not verified at all, that 
um, might also be due to bad coding because developers might confuse like decode and verify functions where decode would just um, give you like the uh, JSON web token that is decoded, but uh, the signature wasn't verified yet. And you would actually need to, ver uh, to call verify first and check whether the signature was uh, valid or not hmm. and decode it afterwards. Uh, for for uh, your your own um, for whatever you do uh, want to do with it, and it also might have been just used for debugging purposes. Like uh, that happens a lot, as you know. Like uh, debugging code is left in production, and uh, nobody really bothered to write a test case for it or check it um, and see whether it was actually um, working as intended. I did that once. For so, like very similar to that example, I turned off verification of passwords because I locked myself out of the application, <laughs> and the bug actually slipped in production for a couple of weeks until I figured it out and then and then backed it off. But that's that's the same thing. Like you're basically turning oh, off the authentication. Yeah, because that's that I call that the yeah. long dark night of coding. So yes. that's that's the the one where you just get frantic and. It's like, just make it work. I don't care what it takes. Make it work. Mm -hmm. I want one compiled. Well, in this case, I was locked out. so I. Well, I mean, but it's the same thing. I, mean, I was like, like, wait, it's I like, control yeah. the code. Therefore, I can tell it not to validate my password yeah, and log in as whoever I part. want. Yeah. And then I forgot to. Um, then you end up yeah. with a no day Jose. A no <laughs> it's, it feels like there's just too much trust of the endpoint not countered on with server coding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you you see how easy how easy it is to introduce uh, such mistakes, and especially uh, as you said, if you just, uh, for example, write a new feature and want to ship it as soon as possible, mm. usually the um, or, or often the um, the uh, test cases you should write for it uh, aren't written in that in that moment. Uh, as long as it works and uh, maybe written some some time afterwards. So um, if if you have test cases uh, that that cover this kind of stuff, it should be um, caught uh, pretty quickly. But um, yeah, as, as you know, it, it is not always the case. And and w once you introduce something like this, and maybe don't even write uh, test cases for your application, um, then it's incredibly hard to actually come across this vulnerability yourself like um you, you may maybe um mistype like uh, in, in your case mistype the password and uh, then get logged in uh, in mm. any way and then see that something's wrong or someone like notifies you about it but uh, with with json web tokens that really requires some deep dive into the application and see how it actually handles authentication yeah. and stuff and like it, this. So it can be really buried um, in, in, in your code um, for a long time and get, and doesn't get uh, like noticed until someone notices it who, who actually actively tries to uh, pick at your application and maybe find something like this. Yeah, and I'm not sure if it's in OWASP or other kind of t testing frameworks, but I highly recommend that when you write unit tests or security tests for your application that do Sven is talking about here, right? Make sure you test that there's no credentials provided. Make sure if I provide a username and not a password that I should be denied, right? right. And then extend that out into your session management too 
and test for I made the credential not valid. I made there be no credentials and that kind yep. of thing. And just to make sure that your checking of the credentials, whether they're in the login process or the session management is functioning as it intends, I think is really good. Me personally, unit testing every time you push release. It's a danger of poor test code too. Yeah. It's like when you get into these test code processes and you start pulling out authentication to say we're just we'll put that in when when we get done testing. Yeah, it's a good point. Sometimes you pull and, out authentication. And you know, you just say like, I'm tired of typing the password or this authentication is causing a problem with our testing or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, somebody forgets to go back and add that back in later and that's where you get blank passwords and mm-hmm. and you know, stuff like that and hard-coded credentials what kind of stuff. Yep. Yeah, uh, I completely agree with that. And um, yeah, to, to get back to the uh, vulnerability of not verifying the signature, um, since no verification is happening on the back end, like you can, uh, you can pass any signature that you want. It doesn't really matter what you uh, put in there. Like you may want to ensure that is uh, that it's actually in the valid. JWT uh, format, but apart from that, you you, you can um, basically supply anything you want. And that's really hard to detect, right, Sven? Because if you're testing it with a with a valid token, it looks like it's working, but it's really not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that 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 is true. Like um, you you really if you if you use your application um, as you usually would, you don't really mention, uh, you, you notice, uh, you don't notice a different, uh, difference there, right. um, as it doesn't break anything. It just, yeah, it, it, uh, does more than, uh, what you expect it to do. So the next one is the KID, um, a KID injections, and you can provide a KID parameter, which contains an identifier. Um, a key ID to tell the backend which of the available keys it should use. Uh, so that is because you can use a lot of different keys and then just um, tell the application you want to use uh, key number one or key number two. Um, yeah, and the key IDs might be implemented in multiple ways. For example, as identifier for a database entry or file and therefore multiple vulnerabilities are possible. Like, uh, for example, you can bypass the signature through directory traversal if the KID parameter actually points to a file on the file system. And um, if you traverse to, for example, a dev null um, and uh, use an empty secret value for the HMAC, like an empty string, um, the verification will actually pass that you don't you aren't confined to DevNull. You can use any file on the file system that you uh, know the content of, and then um, this will be used as a secret value for the HMAC generation. And yeah, there is also a signature bypass through SQLI possible. Like you can use a union select to actually return a key of your choice, like put whatever key you want to have in there and then uh, sign your payload with it and it will also be accepted if there's this, um, an SQL injection vulnerability in there. Uh, but of course, the, the, it's not like that you that these are the uh, only possible vulnerabilities. It, um, as you know, developers can get quite creative uh, in, in introducing vulnerabilities or whatever, so you might even 
like find a, a um, operating system command injections, stuff like that. Um, it really depends on how the KID is implemented. Um, now to the JKU parameter, it is used to specify a URL to a set of JSON encoded public keys, which are used to sign the JWT. And if the server does not validate the URL, an attacker can pro uh, provide a URL um, and uh, point it to their own JSON file containing their own public key. And um, then again, just sign the uh, JWT, uh, JWT token with their own key. That is also similar like the um, node Jose vulnerability we've seen before. And yeah, if the URL is validated before the public key is used, um, you can also try to bypass the restrictions that are, uh, that are put in place. For example, that um, you can only like use um, a URL that is of the same origin as the um, vulnerable server. And you can do so by using an open redirect, for example, or try to find issues with URL passing. Mm. And if, if that sounds familiar with you, it's because uh, it shares a lot of, like basically all of the, um, all of the uh, tricks you can use to um, bypass a blind SSRF uh, vulnerability. So um, mm. because- and Basically if, it's the same, it's an origin policy bypass. Yeah, you could say it like that. So if the uh, it happens on the server side, it's not like um, SOP in the browser, but right. um, they might whitelist have a whitelist of hosts or origins that you can use. And if that is not um, used correctly, then uh, you you might end up with an SSRF issue, or even like um, you can use your own JSON file to provide your own public keys. Um, now how to prevent JWT vulnerabilities and is JWT even secure? Now it can be used securely. Um, you have to use well-established libraries and you shouldn't really write your own because as, as you just saw, there's just so much uh, stuff you can do wrong. And if you don't have to just use some, um, some established uh, libraries that are maybe um, taking uh, security seriously and maybe, um, yeah, ju just use the ones that uh, that you really trust to uh, do that correctly because it's um, a lot of times you will use JWT for uh, authentication and if, if you uh, mess up this step, then like uh, most of the other security mechanisms you put in place on your, on your website, uh, don't matter as much anymore, especially if you can create uh, valid tokens for any admin user. So you should uh, really be sure that the library you use um, and the maintainers actually know what they are doing. Now, um, what you should also do is whitelist the algorithms that you want to use. Um, if there's uh, an option like this in your library, that should really be the first thing you do, only accept um, the algorithms you actually plan to use and uh, use actively to generate your JWT tokens. 
And you should also read the RFC carefully and educate yourself about the JWT vulnerabilities we talked. Um, no one reads those things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that that is true, but that's clear. sometimes you just have to. What is this reading you're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it actually makes sense to um, get a really good idea about what is possible with JWT and um, how attackers may abuse it. And yeah, so um, that that is also not really an exhaustive list, I guess, about the possible uh, JWT vulnerabilities. There might be even more than that. And um, yeah, you should really like um, read everything you can about it to avoid it. Um, you, you should also follow the best practice, of course, like uh, strong secrets, as we've, seen uh, as we've seen before, like the best library can't really help you if you use like the string secret one, two, three as, as your like HMAC, uh, HMAC secret. And of course, if, the, if you don't implement proper URL validation, if it's not handled by your library, then that's also something like uh, that, that uh, can bite you. And of course, like we have seen in the um, in all of the previous examples, the input sanitization is also very important. So you don't end up with, um, with SQL injections in your KID parameter, for example. And of course, uh, use it only if it makes sense to you. Um, if you can do the same thing with your regular server-side sessions and don't really need JWT, you shouldn't use it. Like uh, if you have a, a private project or like... Um, a very simple app with a few users that um, visit your site regularly, you shouldn't use um, JWT for that, probably. Like, um, that makes sense in a few other environments, but uh, for, for private projects and stuff like this, I wouldn't use it uh, personally. Yeah, Sven, so I mean, it begs the question, what, from a developer standpoint, I'm going to go through, hopefully, the effort of watching this presentation and reading the slide. Um, why would I go through the trouble? What's the, the major benefit to me as a developer for implementing JWT? Yeah, I guess you don't have to um, you don't have to track any state on the server side. Yeah. Like if you have um, load balancing and stuff and um, want, want to like save yourself some, some database queries, I guess you can use JWT as an easier way to do uh, stuff like this. Um, and um, it's it's I guess it's not that resource intensive mm. as if you would constantly query your database with every um, with every new like request and uh, check whether the user is authenticated and stuff. So you can yeah. use it uh, with JWT and save a lot of overhead. Uh, that's at least what I think yep. uh, would usually is the the mm. uh, reason to to use JWT. You, and you so, need a, a a large application with a lot of users to really reap the benefits in that sense. Right. Yeah, I'd say so. Um, what you also need to um, keep in mind is that you do if you don't use encryption for your payload. So we we only talked about the um, unencrypted payloads. Mm -hmm. If you don't use this, um, everybody like every user, if he decodes your uh, JWT token, actually sees what kind of state you have on the on the um yeah what, what, what kind of session state this and maybe get some um data from there that they shouldn't actually see like some 
uh, internal um, internal variables or something like that um, that you don't really want your users to know. Like there are probably a lot of these in um, yeah in whatever application you develop. What you, like um, some session variables that you don't want your user to know. All right. Um, yeah, that was my presentation. Um, are there any more questions uh, I can maybe answer? Tyler, Lee? Tyler, I know you've looked into this a little bit or a lot. I'm not sure which because you're kind of cagey about things like that. <laughs> <laughs> so not cagey. Do, do, do those tokens... No, that was do those tokens ever update? I mean, or is that is that a very static kind of thing? It just sits there for us. So you have all these users out there in the field, they're using this, and it just stays the same forever, or does it have to update every, is there some kind of cycle update on it? Um, yeah, you can actually update them and send them again to the user. Like if anything changes uh, on the server side, you can, um, you just update them and send them back. So the, um, state will still be like, um, yeah, probably updated. But, but even if we're updating those, don't we can still run into the same issues because the implementation we chose is not secure. Um, we've still got to do the steps you said about verifying and correct, making sure we can't uh, replace it with our own uh, signature. Right? Yeah, yeah that, that's right. So um, you also have to keep in mind that um, you need to have some kind of mechanism to let these tokens expire. Um, otherwise, um, you can, for example, do that in the payload um, and just write a timestamp in there uh, when the token was generated. So you can actually, um, yeah, uh, you can actually see how long it's uh, been when the token was created or updated, and then maybe like lock the user out after after two weeks or whatever you want would usually do with your server side sessions because um, you don't have any control over the uh, token once it leaves your server, and if you don't have a mechanism for this, you have no way to see if that token was maybe uh, created two years ago, just uh, two seconds ago, so. Uh, that is also something that's, that's kind of where I was going with that, you know, like being able to roll out changes to right. those tokens because you wouldn't know. I mean, if somebody got the token two years ago and they're still sitting there and you wanted to invalidate that whole that whole collection of tokens or even a specific one, that seems like that's how you would have to do that. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, I think you use, uh, usually would do that in, um, uh, or as far as I know, you would do that in the payload. I'm mm. not exactly sure, but I think it's so it is. Mm. So from a developer standpoint, if <clears throat> if you've done this and rolled this out improperly and you've got active code out there live, uh, what do you what do you consider a good rollout method to kind of mitigate and start to migrate away from bad tokens and expire what's already there? Um, I would say it depends on the um, vulnerability. Like if you have some uh, vulnerability like the the KID stuff, then mm -hmm. um, that should be pretty easy. You can just fix the um, underlying SQL injection, for example, or the path traversal, 
and um, that shouldn't affect the um, that shouldn't affect the tokens that were created um, by your server. It should just cre uh, affect the attacker's tokens. But if you have something like a weak secret, um, you really, I don't think you have any other choice than invalidating the, um, like every single JSON web token that you've used before um, that used the weak secret because um, there's just no way to, to make, to, to use this in a secure fashion. That's why you need to get it right the first time because you will notice that these don't often get fixed or updated because of that very reason right there. Yeah, you really have to, um, yeah, maybe you have to be lucky and have one of the vulnerabilities that are more um, server-side <sighs> issues uh, where well, they're act actually coding vulnerabilities like um, like the SSR phone or the invalid um, check of the um of the URL and um, if, if you if you're not lucky then yeah you can you can't do anything other than just completely uh, invalidate everything sweet so, uh, yep good stuff Sven your video is frozen but <clears throat> we love the content as usual great uh details on jwt and associated vulnerabilities thank you as always for appearing on paul security weekly thank you very much for having me for those who want to learn more you can visit securityweekly.com forward slash netsparker for a fabulous web application scanner coming up next is dan de from plex track stay tuned